It's Sunday morning, and I've written something on the board I want you really to take to heart. If you are getting along with the world, and you have peace in your life, no narrow way, or tribulation, you like the way things are going, something is wrong with your life. People don't, so many Christians think they're not supposed to be having a hard time. Without a hard time, you're not a true believer. I'm going to read something to you out of, out of one of Mr. Pink's books. Arthur Pink was a great writer. He died in the early 50s, about 1952, I believe it was. And he's describing what false doctrine is. He says, Satan is the arch counterfeiter, as we have seen. The devil is now busy at work in the same field in which the Lord sowed the good seed. You can read that in the 13th chapter of Matthew. When you look at the 13th chapter of Matthew, you can see that there's four seeds that are sown there, and some falls on stony ground, some falls by the wayside. Some fall where that the, the thorns choke the seed, and some falls on good ground. He is seeking to prevent the growth of the wheat by another plant, the tares. And that is talking about the unbelievers that you run with in your life that you're getting along with, which closely resembles the wheat in appearance. Tares look like wheat, but they were tares. They were not wheat. In a word, by a process of imitation, he is aiming to neutralize the work of Christ. It is to this gospel of Satan the apostle refers when he says to the Galatians, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. He says it's not actually another gospel. It's a perversion of the true gospel. But there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. You can't win people over by preaching uh, God, witch worship or evil. You can't win people over that way. This is this talking about the same thing that we find in 2 Corinthians 11 chapter. Paul said some will come preaching another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel that I have not preached. And he told the Corinthians, I'm afraid you will bear with these people. I'm afraid that's going on all over America. The gospel of Satan is not a system of revolutionary principles. It's not revolting against the principles of Christ. It's masquerading the principles of Christ. Not yet a program of anarchy. It's not something that Satan's going to try to overthrow Christianity. It does not promote strife or war. It's like there in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, where the Bible says in verse 1, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travails upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. 
but aims at peace and unity. This is Mr. Pink, who died before a lot of this modernism is here. It seeks not to set the mother against her daughter, nor the father against his son, but fosters the fraternal spirit whereby the human race is regarded as one great brotherhood. And he's got quotations around that. It does not seek to drag down the natural man, which is the physical man, the sinful man. But it improves and uplifts him. It advocates education, cultivation, and appeals to the best that is within all of us. It's a moral gospel. It aims to make this world such a comfortable and congenial habitat that Christ's absence from it will not be felt and God will not be needed when you have, I'll add, when you have too much money and America has too much money. It endeavors to occupy man so much, to occupy man so much with this world that he has no time or inclination to think about the world to come. Is your life full of this world? It propagates the principles of self-sacrifice, charity, and benevolence, and teaches us to live for the good of others by joining the Sartoma Club or taking up offerings down here on the corner from some, for some charitable organization. And to be kind to everyone. I'd like to change that to be nice to everyone. Nice is the word niskir, N-I-S-C-E-R-E. Niskir is the word nice. It's a French word. It is a construction of ne, meaning no, and skir, S-C-E-R-E, which is the word science or knowledge. What nice means? It means no, no knowledge. When you act nice, nobody is as dumb as people that act nice are. Nobody's that dumb. Nobody's as stupid as a real estate agent that takes you out. I've seen them. I was in real estate for years. How are you? It's so good to see you. And you got the prettiest car and it's five years old and it's wore out. And yes, your house is wonderful. And we'll go into this house and it has a beautiful view out this, out this show window. And there's a telephone pole right there. I've heard them say stupid stuff like that. Dumb. And what they're doing is they're acting nice and they're pretending they don't have any knowledge about what's going on. I talk to people all the time. I talk to my physical trainer. I've since I had that heart attack and had some problems with my back. And I, I said, do you know these things that I'm talking about? Well, I just try to just uh, live my life the way I can have uh, fun doing it and just got real shallow on me. And he's got a doctorate in physiology and he just don't care. He just wants to have fun with his life. It appeals strongly to the carnal mind. Carnal is the word fleshly. And is popular with the masses because it ignores the solemn facts 
that by nature man is a fallen creature. Ask people that you were around, do you ha have sin in your life? Are you going to do anything about it? Alienated from the life of God and dead in trespasses and sin, and that his only hope lies in being born again. He ignores that. In contradistinction to the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Satan teaches salvation by works. It inculcates justification before God on the ground of human merits. Its sacramental phrase is, be good and do good, but it, falls to it fails to recognize that the flesh, in the flesh there dwelleth no good thing. Ask the people in Hendersonville if they're good. Most of them think they're pretty good. It announces salvation by character, which reverses the order of God's word. Character by the fruit of salvation. Its various ramifications and organizations are manifold. Temperance, reform movements, Christian socialist leagues, ethical cultural societies, peace congresses are all employed in proclaiming this gospel of Satan. Salvation by works. The pledge card is substituted for Christ. The apostles of Satan are not saloon keepers. They're not teaching the apostles the doctrine of Satan. They are not saloon keepers and white slave traffickers. It's not what they are. But are the most part ordained ministers, thousands of these who occupy our modern pulpits. He's talking about, he wrote this back in the 40s. Are no longer engaged in presenting the fundamentals of the Christian faith, but have turned aside from the truth and have given heed unto fables. The Bible calls them myths. Instead of magnifying the enormity of sin and setting forth its eternal consequences, they minimize it by declaring that sin is merely ignorance of the absence of good. Instead of warning their hearers to flee from the wrath to come, they make God a liar by declaring that he is too loving and merciful to send any of his own creatures to eternal punishment. Instead of declaring without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. They merely hold up Christ as the great exemplar and exhort their hearers to follow in his steps. Of them it must be said, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Their message may sound plausible. That means it sounds reasonable. And their aim appear very praiseworthy. Yet we read them for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And they go around saying, I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm a charismatic preacher. I don't believe in any of these preachers that don't teach death to self, daily cross, self-denial, being hated by the world. 
that don't teach predestination. I don't believe in any of them. In addition to the fact that today hundreds of churches are without a leader who faithfully declares the whole counsel of God and presents his way, the narrow way of salvation, we also have to face the additional fact that the majority of people in these churches are very likely to learn the truth for themselves. The Bible is not expanded in the pulpit and it's not read in the pew. Hence, the majority who are too indolent, too lazy to search for themselves are left at the mercy of those whom they pay to search for them. Let the preacher do it. That's his job. Many of whom betray their trust by studying and expanding economic and social problems rather than the oracles of God. In Proverbs 14:12, we read, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Just because it looks good in America, it doesn't mean it is. This way which ends in death is the devil's delusion, the gospel of Satan. I'm going to read a couple more paragraphs. This doctrine appropriates itself, religious terminology, sometimes appeals to the Bible for its support, holds up before men lofty ideals, and is proclaimed by those who have graduated from our theological institution. Countless multitudes are decoyed and deceived by it. The success of an illegitimate coiner, a counterfeiter, depends largely upon how closely the counterfeit resembles the genuine article. That's what's going on in America. Heresy is not so much the total denial of the truth as a perversion of it. Every time you see the word froward in the Old Testament, about 12 to 15 times, it is a Hebrew word that means twisted. That is why half a lie is always more dangerous than a complete repudiation of truth. Boy, this is some strong stuff, isn't it? Mr. Pink really had it nailed down. For example, he would not be so foolish as to boldly announce his disbelief in a personal God. He takes his existence for granted and then gives a false description of his character. I'll read some more later. This is a great, great... This is the doctrine of Satan. That's what it comes from. Now, what are you talking about, Jim? I'm talking about death to self. What does that mean? Well, we have to be dying. This world has imagined some things. I want to continue where I was last week on Easter. Easter. Let me erase this up here. If you're getting along with the world, do you get along with everybody at work? I'm not saying, do you try to start a fight? Do you take an opportunity to say, well, I don't celebrate Christmas. I found out some things about it. And just leave it at that. <coughs> what did you find out? Well, I found out it was paganism. has nothing to... I always tell people when I tell them about Christmas or Easter, 
I tell them, Jesus was God in the flesh. He died to save sinners. He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem in a manger, but the Christ mass in Ishtar doesn't have anything to do with him. If you're going to say it to somebody, be sure and tell them who you believe Jesus is. Don't just say Christmas is pagan. Say, I'm not talking about Jesus. Now, I'm going to resume this. What they've done, they've imagined all these things. Sometimes I don't know quite where to go. I said last week that what we've got is an imaginary God going on. We've imagined that we think Christmas is about Jesus, and it's not. It's no more about Jesus than Halloween. It's no more about Jesus than Mardi Gras. What is truly amazing, Mardi Gras, and it's the same thing as Easter. Easter was the goddess of spring or the goddess of the east. It's mentioned one time in the Bible in Acts, the 12th chapter. And the sad thing is, when you look up in a word study concordance, you look up Passover, and it will be right in line with the other verses on Passover. What you do is you look up the word Passover, and it'll give you a number, and you look it up in your concordance, and it will say Passover. Take that one time Easter's mentioned in Acts, the 12th chapter, and it will take you right to the number for Passover, and it will say Passover. That's, there were half of the translators of the King James Bible were Roman Catholics. I believe they slipped that in there. And that's in Acts, the 12th chapter. Acts 12. I started in last week to show you how these are all the same thing in the ancient world. The Halloween is the same thing as it's the Celtic form, the Celtic form of sun worship. And I'll show you in a minute why. Christmas is the birth of the unconquerable sun at Rome. Out of that, we get the Christ Mass, which is eating human flesh. What gets me is the very name itself is Christ Mass. Look it up in any dictionary anywhere. Look it up in any encyclopedia. Go to an elementary school. Sit down in one of them little bitty chairs and pull out the C volume. Look up Christmas. It'll tell you it's Christ Mass. It is Roman Catholic. It's eating human flesh. The Mass is the focal point of Roman Catholicism. They hold the Eucharist up. They utter the words, Hoc est corpus infili. And it turns into the literal body of Christ, supposedly, and the literal blood. And it's supposed to be in that presence. They call that the real presence of Christ. That's what the Catholics call it. You have to partake of that Eucharist as a Roman Catholic or you are an infidel. That means all of the Protestants in America are going to hell, all of us, along with all the Baptists and all the Methodists. And I'm quite sure most of them are. But uh, 
that we're all going to hell and only the Catholics just go to heaven. Sheldon said this to me several times. He said, when I was a Catholic, going up as a Catholic, he said, when I got to partake of that Eucharist, he said, now I get to go to heaven. I'm going to heaven because I ate the body of Christ. He'll tell you that. Say, that's what, I'm going because I, I'm eating the body. That's what y'all believed, wasn't it? It's, it's just foolishness. Jesus said, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Indeed is the word aletheis, and it means of truth. This is the imagination of Satan's doctrine. They've imagined all this stuff. Well, here's how this thing works. All of this is the same thing. The Celts in sun worship celebrate Halloween. The Romans in the Feast of Saturn, they just took the Feast of Saturn and turned it into, this is what Satan's doctrine does. It simply modifies God's doctrine where it becomes palatable or easy to swallow to the Protestants in America. And this is Satan's doctrine. Alethates means of truth. That's what eat flesh and drink blood means. It was an old idiom. It meant to partake in a slaughter. And according to the 8th chapter of Romans, we are lambs to the slaughter. And we're slaughtered because we tell the truth. Mardi Gras was the Franks' form of honoring their son. I'm going to show you just why they had a different day for each one of these cultures. They picked out the day themselves. The Franks were the French. Were the French. And they had this, when you go to Louisiana, they have Mardi Gras, New Orleans. It's a Roman Catholic town. What it is, isn't it? What it is. And Ishtar is a, it's a conclusion of Mardi Gras. This has to do with resurrection of, of Tammuz. From the dead, this is in mythology. This is a myth. And it is Ishtar, I-S-H-T-A-R. Ishtar is a form of Easter. Easter. This is all Satan's imagination. This is what he sold to America. And how many people can you tell this to and get them to believe it? How many Baptist, conservative Baptist preachers can you tell this to and get them to get hold of it? You can't. You can, you can have a meeting with all the Southern Baptist preachers in Nashville, say, I'd like to speak on this, and they'll stop you before you get into five minutes of it. They're not let you go any further. The Baptists are supposed to be the last bastion of conservatism in America among the Protestants, particularly the conservative Baptists, and they're going to eat this stuff up. Now, here's the way it works. I put it on the board. Ishtar raises Tammuz from the dead in myth. It's not true. It's a form of Easter, a form of Ashtaroth, A-S-T-O-R, 
E-T-H, Ashtaroth, or S-H. And if, if it's an E, it's singular. If it's spelled with an O, it's plural. And the Ashtaroth with all the female tree deities, tree deities, in the ancient world, and you get that out of McClinican Strong under Ashtaroth. It will tell you in McClinican Strong, we don't know how all of these... Now, when you read in McClinican Strong, it doesn't mean that they have all the answers. You have to read these writers with a very broad mind. You have to be able to check them out. They'll say under Ashtaroth, we don't know how all of these deities, these female deities, are together. I know how. I know how they all come from the same thing. It will tell you, and one writer will tell you, well, they called Venus the Queen of Heaven. They called Aphrodite the Queen of Heaven. They called Milita the Queen of Heaven. And they will go into all of these different things, but then they'll turn around and say, we don't know how they all came out of the same thing. I know exactly how they came out of the same thing. I know exactly. The Bible says in Revelation 17 and 5 that Babylon was the mother of all harlots when you look up Harlot, it will tell you pornea. And we get our word porn from that, but it doesn't mean just to look at naked men and women. Pornea means idolatry. It'll tell you that. What you do is you define idolatry. Ido lo latria. E I D O. L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. Ido means to see or perceive, and latrua means to serve. All this means you're an idol worshiper if you are involved in fixing your eyes on something. Say, I've got to have that. I've got to have him. I've got to have her. I've got to have that car. I don't care what I have to do to get it. I work three jobs, and you're an idol worshiper. And the idol you worship is that person in the mirror to fulfill their desires. How do you get over that? You get old. If you get old enough, you'll realize you don't need this stuff anymore. And you become free-hearted. Well, what did Babylon, where did she start? She started back here in Genesis 11 and 4. This is where the doctrine of the devil started. This was right after the flood. Because in Genesis 10, that's the table of nations, and that will tell you where Shem, Ham, and Japheth migrated to. It'll tell you that they landed on the mountains of Ararat in what we call Eastern Turkey. Turkey was, you'll realize that Turkey was one of the most fascinating places in the Bible because Western Turkey was called Asia Minor. 
And this is where the seven churches of Asia were. In fact, you got them right over here. Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamos, Smyrna, Laodicea. And the, Colossia wasn't in the seven churches. Trellis wasn't. Heliopolis wasn't. Miletus wasn't. Magnesia wasn't. It's just talking about the seven churches there in Asia. Now, of course, Paul first missionary journey went up to Turkey, went up to Galatia. Galatia is a state right in the center of what we call Turkey. So whenever you, but you can't go over there. You can, but it's very dangerous. Take a plane over there and be able to hijack and put you in jail just for the fun of it. Now, so Babylon was founded on let us make us I've said this so many times a name do you know that verse right there has affected me more than any verse in the Bible nothing has affected me like that I was very sick at the end of my music career I was 37 laying on what I believe was my deathbed I dropped my weight dropped down to about 100 pounds 118 pounds my beard grew down on my chest my hair was long I laid in the bed for six months I would think about for some reason I wasn't thinking about my career as a singer I was thinking about the Bible because I had traveled in my late 20s all over America and sang and preached in churches and I just, for some reason, I was laying in bed thinking, where is Babylon in the Bible? My father and all of his friends say they couldn't find out where Babylon was. And I got to thinking, all you have to do is find out what she was founded on and what she was built on, and you got Babylon in the 20th and 21st century. Her character was this. Let us make us a name, Shem, and authority. And what they did, when I began to realize that, I was lying in bed. I was so weak I couldn't. I've been insane in my life, people. I pushed myself over the edge till it was killing me. I've been in and out of the hospital so many times. I know how to live now that I'm right at 80. I'll be 80 in about two weeks. I know how to live now. Not that insane way. Not striving for the things of this world. Are Christians supposed to be striving for stuff? Are you try Is anybody here striving for stuff? Yes. <laughs> Stop that. That's all. That's all thing I know to say. Dave's <laughs> coming up for face with their Bible. Thank you for being honest. It's, it's really difficult. This is the doctrine of the devil. What they did, they took God's, they said, we don't like Shem telling us what to do. He talks about a daily cross and death to self and self-denial. We want an easy gospel. And the easy gospel will be this Christ mass, this Mardi Gras where you can party, Easter where you can party and hide eggs, uh, Christmas where you can party and Halloween where you can party they're all about the same thing they're different forms of government in the ancient world let me give it to you again when they said let us make us a name 
I got out of bed. I was thinking about that night and day, several days. And it never re registered on me. That's what I had done. I'd gone out in the world to make myself a name. And it wasn't God's name. It was so people could recognize me and see who I was and hear me sing and hear how great I was. I'm so thankful that God took the voice that I had away from me. Because all I want to do now is preach the truth. All I wanted to do, I would go to Nebraska, I would sing, I would preach for you, but I wanted to sing too. I don't want to do none of that anymore. When they said, let us make us a name, I was getting out of bed one night just to go to the bathroom. It would take me 30 or 40 minutes to go to the bathroom because I couldn't hardly walk. I mean, I was deathly ill. This was back in the mid-70s. And I got up out of bed, and it all of a sudden just hit me between the eyes. It's like, oh, God, that's me making myself a name. You ever wanted to be special in life? That's making yourself a name. You want to be somebody special, want somebody to applaud you because you're so great. Well, you're not so great, you're a sinner. You're not who you think you are. And they want this easy Jesus, and they made it that way. I believe these holidays have been the curse and the downfall of America more than anything else. You see, if we didn't have these... We wouldn't have these official parties in the name of Jesus all year long, would we? Let me show you how they came into being. They were all about the death of the sun god. That's what they were about. The Celts. When you talk about Celts, you're talking about you're talking about these hordes that came across Europe. I think I've got them here somewhere on this. You have all of these hordes coming from various parts of the world. And you've got the Celts. They came over here and settled in Great Britain. You have the Franks. The Franks are here in, in France. You have the Burgundians, the Saxons. This is why Constantine here in Rome brought Christ's mass into the church. It was to keep these Vandals and these Huns and these Visigoths from coming in and overthrowing Rome. So he brought all of their sun and tree gods into the church. And he said, we will make it possible for pagans to be in the church. And so they brought, he brought here in Rome the Feast of Saturn and amalgamated that. And so they could party and have all of their gift giving. And they did that at the Feast of Saturn. They did the basic same thing at, at Halloween. They had, this is all boils down to, boils down to the swastika. The reason I'm putting this on here again, I want to bring out some more things about it. The swastika was one, two, three four, five, six, seven, eight. Had eight feast days. I can't go into all of them. 
had the same number of holidays among the pagans as you've got lines on the on the Eucharist. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. On the Roman Catholic Eucharist, you've got eight. This was a peace sign in the ancient world. It had to do with, let me go back over here. I gave most of you this. It had to do with coming out of the summer, going over into fall. What they would do, they would check the Big Dipper every three months, June the 3rd, September the 3rd, December the 3rd, and March the 3rd. And the whole idea of it was to get this Big Dipper. They did it at midnight. They checked it every three months, and they were hoping to get to spring. All of this right here, from fall all the way to spring, this is where the Celts got their form of this. They got their form of this. The Celts said, well, we're coming to the end of the harvest. They set it up different than the rest of these people. They said, we're coming to the end of the harvest. And, of course, the sun is on its... It reduces its light as it gets closer to winter, or particularly the winter solstice. Winter solstice, most of you know this, but what I'm trying to do is finish up this last week. Solstice. That is December the 21st. Longest nights of the year. Longest nights. And starting with the summer solstice, the longest days of the year, June 21st. And then it would move the sun because we're, we're on, we're moving around the sun. The earth is. We're moving around the sun. And because the earth is on its axis at 23 and a half degrees, 23 and a half. And when it gets over here, where it's in the northern hemisphere, where the sun is, the earth is leaning to the sun, towards the sun, this is summer, and this would be winter. This would be the depth of winter or the winter solstice. Same thing as here. When you get to the equinox, which means equal night, there's 12 hours in the day and 12 hours in the night. The next day, the sun begins to wane and darkness begins to prevail. And this is why Paul kept telling these people, you were darkness, but now you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The, the light was when Israel, when you get from the time you get to the winters, the the fall equinox, twelve hours a day, twelve hours in the night. The next day, you may have eleven hours and forty-eight minutes in the day, 
and 12 hours and 2 minutes in the dark. 12 hours and 2. Somewhere along that line. And then when you get over here to the vernal equinox, V-R-R-N-A-L, or the spring equinox, 12 hours of the day and 12 hours in the night, they're saying the sun begins to take over again. And this is the time of the crops in the spring. It's, it's not as hard as it looks. This is the time. And you're back to the equinox again. Back to the sun, the dark taking over. Back to the dark. Well, this is spring. Spring. And then as you're going into the spring, into summer, this is God's. This is God's festivals. Think of that that way because God's promise in his covenant, he would say, he would say, if you are obedient to me in the springtime, your crops will be good. And if you're, if you're obedient to me, I'll fill up your fields during this time of the crops I'll fill up your harvest I'll fill up your fields I'll fill up your storehouses I'll fill up your wombs with healthy children that is under the condition you obey me you'll find all this in Deuteronomy 28 you'll find it also in Leviticus 26 you'll find it in Exodus 15 and some other places he says your healthy children and you win your battles you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways but if you're not obedient to me I'll treat you like I treat these heathens that worship their gods of darkness. Their gods of darkness were the gods of Halloween, Christmas, Mardi Gras, and Easter. They set their way up of serving their gods different than we do. They said since the crops were dying here at the end of the harvest, end of harvest, the Celts, said we will honor our gods as the as the sap goes down in the ground and it will rise again in the spring and they equated this with evil gods evil gods and you had all these evil gods were people were gods like uh, Pluto Pluto was a god long before it was a dog. And Pluto and Hades and Styx, these were the evil gods. And the good gods were Hercules and Perseus and Adonis, and the list goes on and on. And these were gods that were at odds with each other because the sap was going to go down and the pagans would equate Easter 
or Ashtart or Asherah, which is the word grove, they would equate that with resurrecting Tammuz in the spring. And there's two witnesses to this in the Bible. The Bible says in Amos, the fifth chapter, Seek not Bethel, nor Gilgal. These were cities in Israel where Israel had set up idol worship. Seek not Bethel, nor Gilgal, but seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion. I've said this last week. I'm going to say it again. The seven stars was called Pleiades. Now, God always has his laws for himself. He abides by his own laws for himself. He says that we have to... They said in the ancient world, they said that the Pleiades... I've got an article on the Pleiades here. You can get this out of McClinic and Strong. And some of the rabbis, it's not whether the... You've got a lot of opinions what different cultures said about Pleiades. But God tells Job, can you bind the sweet influences of Pleiades and loose the bands of Orion? You can't find this in every book. But in some of the Jewish books, they will tell us that the Jews believed, the rabbis believed, that the Pleiades caused the fruits to come up and bloom in the spring. So God takes their belief about this and says, can you stop Pleiades from bringing up the crops in the spring? Why did they believe that? Because Pleiades is the seven stars and it's this, there's seven stars in the Big Dipper and there's seven stars in Pleiades. There's actually more, but what we can see in Pleiades with the naked eye is seven stars. Well, we see seven stars and the Jews believed that's how they got crops in the spring. When God says, Do, don't seek the seven stars, seek him who maketh the seven stars. And he's got two witnesses to that. He's got the witness of what they said. They said this was their clock, this swastika. The swastika, swastika comes from suvasti. Su means, Vasti means it is good. It has the basic same meaning as a man. And it was good because when this, when they would check this, they were anxious to get through from fall to this dead of winter, back around to spring, and they thought somebody was turning this clock, this calendar of the year. They said among the pagans it was the Queen of Heaven turning that calendar. Queen 
of heaven. I thought that was the Mary of Roman Catholicism, what it was, but that didn't, Catholicism didn't even begin to get started till 325 A.D. under Constantine. But the Queen of Heaven is being condemned because Israel is going after her in Jeremiah 44, and this was 600 years before Jesus was even born. The Queen of Heaven. They call the Queen of Heaven Malita, Aphrodite, among many cultures. Let me show you something. Let me get my Q volume here. Queen. No, that ain't it. I'll get it out here. You can't believe what you can find in the McClinic and Stone. QR. I like to have these up here. That I, that way I can refer to them. EQ. I can't find that Q volume. Let me see if that's it. EQ. I'm just going to get Queen for you. This is in McClinic and Strong. I just like to read stuff to you out of these from time to time. You look up Queen. I'll get there in a minute. Don't leave. Okay, PQU. Queen of Heaven. Queen of Heaven. Jeremiah 7 and 18, God preaches against it. Jeremiah 44 and 17, 18, 19, and 23. In the margin is given frame of workmanship of heaven. For in 20, for in 20 of Kennecott's manuscripts, the reading is, of which this is the translation, the same as the case in 14 manuscripts of Jeremiah 44 and 13 of Jeremiah 14. 19. The latter reading is followed by the Septuagint, Peshito, Syriac, and Jeremiah 7:18. But in all other passages that receive text, the Texas Receptus, the received text is adopted as by the Vulgate in every instance. Kimchi is warning, and it is as if the workmanship of heaven, the stars, and some interpret the Queen of Heaven, i.e., a great star which is in the heavens. Rashi, these are different historians, is in a favor of the latter, and Targum, the Targum renders through the star of heaven. Kircher was in favor of some constellation, the Pleiades or Hyades. It is generally believed that the Queen of Heaven is the moon because she was the secondary god in the first chapter and she ruled the night. I mean, uh, they worshipped Ashtaroth or Astart, to whom the Hebrew woman offered cakes in the in the streets of Jerusalem. When you look up the word cakes in Jeremiah 44, 
They offered cakes to the queen of heaven. It means sacrificial wafers. Hidzig, another historian, says the Hebrews give this title to the Egyptian Neith, whose name is in the form of Taneith, with the Egyptian article, appears with that of Baal, and so forth. It is a little to the purpose to inquire by what other names this goddess was known among the Phoenician colonists. It'll tell you that the mother of the Phoenician gods was the queen of heaven. There's any number of ways to look these things up. Now, I'm going to show, I was going to show you that because the crops are dying, the Celts, this point right here is the same as this Halloween point is right here. And this right here equates with this right here. That's the end of the harvest. And these are the dark parts of the year. And in these dark parts, this is why Paul would say, you were darkness. He's talking to the Ephesians. You were darkness, but now you're light. He's saying you were in the dark, talking to the Gentile churches. You were in the dark, worshiping these gods as Gentiles, where the sun is at its lowest. But now when you're born again, you're light. And you have the promises of God in the light as Gentile churches. That's what he's talking about. Now, it all, it's all about food. That's all it's about. God says, worship me. I'll fill up your storehouse, your fields. You'll be healthy children. You'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways. But if you, this is amazing. I won't go into it in depth. You see the beast in Daniel 7. It's Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. I'm going to say this, and some of you, if you hadn't heard it, pay close attention. When Israel quit worshiping God and went after Baal in the grove, and God says, all of these blessings will cease to come upon you, your children will be stillborn. They'll be dying. And he says, you'll be carried away into captivity when you quit obeying God. What caused Israel to quit obeying God? Or let me put it this way. Who caused Israel to quit obeying God? Who? Huh? Jezebel. Jezebel, that's right. But who is the king that brought it into Israel? Ahab. Ahab. It, Ahab was the king of northern Israel. How many tribes were in northern Israel? Ten. Ten tribes. When you get into Revelation 13, how many horns does the beast have? Huh? Seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads and ten horns. And what does horn mean? Power. Horn means power. 
the beast had seven powers. I had ten powers, excuse me. Had ten powers or ten horns. Where did the beast get these ten horns? Ten northern tribes. Ten northern tribes. The ability to conquer the world. That's what they had. Your enemy will come against you one way and they'll flee seven ways. They will run from you and it was it was the ten northern tribes that gave away their power. Didn't they? And they gave it to the beast. The only reason the beast could carry him away was because they went after other gods. When you look into Micah, the first chapter. I hope you can get a hold of this. Micah. Everything in the Old Testament is about Christmas and Easter and Mardi Gras and Halloween. All the gods they went after date back to that. Look over here. Micah. I'm going to go ahead and show you this because this is extremely interesting. <coughs> Micah, first chapter. Verse 5. For the transgression of Jacob, when the Bible mentions Jacob long after he's dead, that's the 12 tribes altogether. When it mentions northern Israel, it either mentions Joseph or Ephraim because Ephraim headed up the ten northern tribes. And the two southern tribes was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin put together. For the transgression of Jacob is all this. Here's what it is. And for the sins of the house of all of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not the ten northern tribes, Samaria? That's another name for northern Israel, right? Samaria is another name for the ten northern tribes. What was the transgression of all of Israel? It was Samaria. Samaria is northern Israel. That's where Ahab ruled from. Ahab was this king right here. When he married Jezebel right above Israel, he brought her gods down into Israel and they began to worship Bel in their grove and they quit worshiping Jehovah God in northern Israel when he set up temples for Bel in the grove. That's Samaria. That's the transgression of Israel. They quit worshiping God and that's where Babylon got their power overthrow Israel because no one could bring Israel down as long as they were obedient to God. Nobody. They could go against their enemy one way and their enemies would flee run for their lives. There was one time in the 16th in the 14th chapter of First Chronicles Asa, wonderful godly king great man of God he went out in Israel and, and destroyed all the idol worship, all the grove, all, the, all these people. He stopped all of them. 
from worshiping idol gods. He cleaned Israel out. And they had peace for years. What God said. Then all of a sudden, the Ethiopian army come against Asa. And they came against him. But Asa had half a million men. But Ethiopia had a million men and 300 chariots of iron. Their chariots had these scythes on the side of them, these little swords on the wheels, and you couldn't stand against that. No amount of people could stand against it. And Asa prayed one of the great prayers of the Bible. He said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help with few or with many. Let not these men prevail against thee. He didn't say me. Let them not prevail against you. And they didn't. Because that's what God promised them when they were cleaning Israel out of all the idolatry. When Ahab brought it in, they gave up their ten fires. Each one of those tribes was called a horn. And the ten northern tribes was a horn in God's hand. So when they gave up, when they went after other gods under Ahab, the ten northern tribes gave their power to whip the world. And that's what the ten horns were when when Babylon comes in, and that is a beast with seven heads and ten horns. It's the powers that God gave Israel to conquer the world. And Ahab polluted southern Judah because Ahab marries Jezebel. And she has, and she, they have a daughter together. One of the most wicked women in all the Bible. She is hell on two feet. Her name is Athaliah. And she, and she's, and Ahab, poor Jehoshaphat, wonderful man of God, just like his father Asa. He had one problem. He ran around with the wrong people. This is what could happen to you. When you think I can handle running around over the world. He was always running around with Ahab. Ahab would come down to southern Judah and say, We're brothers. You and me are brothers, Jehoshaphat. We're both Jews. And I want to go fight this Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. Would you go with me? You're not supposed to be having fellowship with a heathen. He's bringing all this into Israel. Well, Jehoshaphat, being a wonderful man that he was, said, Well, I'll, uh, I'll go with you, but we need to talk to a prophet first. And Ahab said, You talk to these prophets and they don't like me. They say bad things about me. Well, I guess so. You're a heathen. So Jehoshaphat says, Let's go. Let's go to this Micaiah. M I C A I A H. Micaiah. He's a prophet of God and, and he'll tell us the truth. And Ahab says, 
but he don't like me. So they go to Micaiah. Micaiah said, if you go into battle, Israel will come back and they won't have a shepherd. You're going to die. He said, I told you he didn't like me, Jehoshaphat. He says bad things about me. Goodness gracious. So Jehoshaphat, so Ahab says, let's put him on bread and water. We'll put, put him in prison, put Micaiah on bread and water. Now, I got to find one of my own prophets. Let me get one of my prophets of Baal to tell me what to do. And the Lord in heaven says, who will, be, who will be a lying spirit in the mouth of one of these prophets of Baal? And one spirit steps forward and says, I will. I'll be a lying spirit. I'll get into this man. And he goes to one of the prophets of Baal. And this is where they give up their... It's when Ahab, the head of the ten northern tribes the ten northern horns gives up their power to whip the world and they could if Ahab had been obedient to God's word he could have whipped everybody at one point at one point in Ahab's life he went out right before he had this adventure Ahab was being attacked by Ben-Hadad, the Syrian king. And this Syrian, not Assyrian, but Syrian, this Syrian king. Here's Syria right here. North, just northeast of Israel. He comes down to attack northern Israel. Ben-Hadad. And God is not pleased with Ahab. He don't like what Ahab's doing, the way he's living. And this Syrian king says, I'm going to come in there and take over northern Israel. And I want every one of you, all of the men that are fighting men, I want you to punch out your right eye. That's the only way I'll do this. Why the right eye? That's what they're going to use to shoot their bows with. That way they can't defend themselves. Well, the word gets to Ahab. And Ahab, and God says, I want you to attack Syria. Now, you're outnumbered, but fight them in the mountains. Well, they fight them in the mountains. And the Syrian king says, well, ain't no wonder you fought in the mountains. Your God is the God of the mountains. You remember I told you they had a demon that was demon, demonion, was what they called their gods. They had gods of the mountains. They had the gods of the valleys, gods of the plains. And when... And when Ben-Hadad says, your God is the God of the mountains, God says, now you've made me mad. You think you could whip my people on a wide open plain? 
there were about 127,000 Syrians. And the Bible says they covered the plain. And Israel, and the prophet comes to Ahab and says, you need to go fight the Assyrians on the plain. And Ahab says, who's going to give that order? And the prophet says, you are. Now you're an evil king, and this Ben-Hadad is not going to tell you when you're going to get off the throne. When God gets ready to remove you, he'll do it. So Ahab takes his men. They had 7,000 fighting men, and the Syrians had 127,000 fighting men. Who do you think is going to win? Ahab didn't win because he was living right. God didn't like it because Ben-Hadad come in and said, I want an unconditional surrender from northern Israel. God says, go against them, Ahab. I'll kill you a few chapters later. And the Bible says, the Bible says there were, they encamped against the Assyrians like two little flocks of goats, of kids. Two little flocks. And they went against them. And right off the bat, they killed 100,000 Syrians. That's what God said would happen. You could go against your enemy one way. I'm even going to use an evil king, and I'll kill him down the line. But you're not going to tell me what my evil king's going to do. That's how Israel gave up their power to beat the world. I don't know why I got on this, but I did. Now, go over there to Revelation, the 13th chapter. This is how, when you're talking about Christmas, Halloween, Easter, and Mardi Gras, you're talking about all the gods of the Old Testament that Israel went after. I don't even think the Jews even know this. I, I'm in physical training from that heart attack. And the guy that's training me, his name is Weinstein. Of course, he's a Jew. I asked him, I said, do your parents practice Judaism? I gave him a couple DVDs. He said, only on the major holidays, I guess he meant Passover, Pentecost, so forth. And I... Ask him, I said, do you know what the Halakha and the Haggadah is? He said, I'm not familiar with that. He's only 26. And I was just asking him some of what he knew about. Most of them don't know anything about, none of them know what tribe they belong to, none of them. Anyway, let's go over here to the 23rd, uh, 13th chapter of Revelation. Notice how all this ties together. It's all about Babylon coming into Israel and bringing, it's about Ahab bringing sun and tree worship into Israel in the form of Baal in the grove. And when they bring Baal in the grove in, he builds temples for Baal in the grove. Then they start attaching to all, what happened to my, I don't know what I did with 
Huh? Left hand. Oh, I got it here. Did I turn that off? Press the power button. Huh? Which one's a power button? Is that the red one? Well, I don't know. I did something with this. You got it? Not yet. There we go. There you are. That game. <laughs> All right. Now, the beast in Daniel 7 is Babylon, Iraq, Persia, <coughs> Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan. This was Persia. And then Greece overthrew Persia and then Rome subjugates the generals there under Alexander the Great. So here in here in uh, Revelation 13 and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. The sea is the Mediterranean Sea. And that's because the beast, Babylon, the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard, and the beast with iron teeth, all had their borders on this great sea or the Mediterranean. So the beast actually rises up out of this sea in the form of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And I saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads. A head was a capital city of an empire. A head was the same thing as a mountain. These were the same thing as heavens. If you look up Mount in the M volume of McClinic and Strong, it will tell you this. Heavens, head, mountains, they all meant powers. Now, seven heads. A head was a capital city. Well, if you get into the 17th chapter, it'll tell you that five are fallen, and one is, the sixth was abiding then, that was Rome. And the other is not yet come, that will be in the future. Of the heads. And one of the, and you see that one of the heads is wounded to death in chapter 3. Most of the really good scholars, like Matthew Henry, will tell you that's because that one of them was wounded to death. These are not seven mountains on which which uh, Rome sits. It's not the seven hills of Rome. Because one of the heads was wounded to death. Does that mean somebody went out there on one of those mountains and had a nice had a pick and they stabbed this this uh, mountain in the head and it began to bleed and died? <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. The head what the the head that was wounded to death was the old Roman Empire at Rome. It was the Roman fire worship. Two of the priests rose up, Gratian 
and Numa, they said they would not wear these robes of the Pontifex Maximus. That means Maximum High Priest. That was the title for the High Priest of the Fire Worship in the Roman Empire. When they said they wouldn't wear that, they outlawed the fiery Roman Empire, reinstituted it in the form of Roman Catholicism. They actually took niches. A niche is a little indention. You're walking along here. There's an indention in this wall, and it'll have a statue of Jupiter. They took Jupiter's name and changed it to Peter. They took they took Aphrodite or Mylita or Venus and changed the name to Mary. The reason that they pray to Mary is the same reason they prayed to Aphrodite. Aphrodite means wrath. Aphrodite means wrath subduer. They said that Aphrodite could subdue the wrath of her son, whether it's Hercules or, or Perseus or one of those hero gods of the ancient world. They said they prayed to Aphrodite or they prayed to Mileta. Mileta means mediatrix. A, mediate, a, a, female, a mediatrix is a female mediator. That's a female mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. No one else is our mediator. So they prayed to Aphrodite when they inserted Mary into one of these niches and made her the queen of heaven, which was a title for the woman that turned the, the goddess that turned the fire wheel in the ancient world the goddess, they said there had to be somebody turning that wheel, and they said it was Mileta, Queen of Heaven. Somebody had to be turning this so they could have crops in the spring over here. They said it was the Queen of Heaven doing that. That's why Israel worshipped the Queen of Heaven in the 44th chapter of Jeremiah. But they gave up their power when Ahab went after other gods. I said it earlier, when Ahab runs around with Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was weak. He wasn't supposed to be running around with Ahab. But one night, when at some party, same what happened with Ahab, he sees this hot-looking woman named Jezebel. He didn't know she was a rattlesnake. One night at some party, when you run around with somebody, usually you name your kids after your best friends, right? If you'll notice, Ahab had a son named Ahaziah and a son named Jehoram. Jehoram had a son named, Ahaziah, named Ahaziah. He named his son evidently after the same thing that Ahab had. So, one night, Ahab and Jezebel have a daughter. The daughter out of hell itself. If there's anybody in hell, Athaliah's in hell today. 
when her husband, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, dies. And then, her, and then Ahaziah, her son, and Jehoram's son, Ahaziah, Athaliah says, I want this nation for myself. So she goes out to kill all of the seed royal. Seed royal means anyone could inherit the throne. So she kills 70 of Jehoram's or even any of Jehoshaphat's sons that can lay claim to the throne. And she missed one. <laughs> That's funny. Because this is the tribe of Judah. There has to be one left. So get all the way down to Jesus, who's, in the, who's the line of Judah. Joash was hid in the temple by the high priest. Why? Because the Bible says the scepter will not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, a term for Christ, Shalom is come. So Joash was taken, hid inside the temple. Why would he be hid inside the temple? Wouldn't Athaliah want to go to the temple and find out if he's there? No. She's worshiping the gods of her mother and father, Ahab and Jezebel. She's worshiping Bell in the Grove. She'll never go to the temple. And they bring out Joash when he gets old enough. And the high priest says, God save Joash, king of Israel. And she goes, oh God, what have I done? Athaliah starts shouting, treason. That's funny. When she's crawling treason, she's the most treasonous person that ever lived in Israel, trying to kill off all these people. So, when the Bible says in Micah, the first chapter, that the transgression of Israel is northern Israel, Samaria, that's when Ahab marries Jezebel and brings it in, and then his descendant, Athaliah, marries it into southern Judah, and it corrupts southern Judah. So the transgression of all of Israel is the ten northern tribes, and they gave away their power to conquer their enemies when the ten northern tribes turned away after another god. If they'd have stayed with the Lord, They'd have been fine. They could have whipped everybody in the world, but they didn't. Look over here in the... So we see these... It has seven heads and ten horns in Revelation, the 13th chapter. And in verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. That was Greece. And its feet, not his, the word is bad translation. It is the word A-U-T-O-U. A-U-T-O-U. Every time it says his, and it has to follow the, the antecedents gender. This, where they translated his, it has to be its because it's referring back to the beast, Totherion, 
and Tothereon is neuter gender. You can't say Jim went to the store and it bought a loaf of bread. It can't be it, it has to be he. Well, it can't be him because the beast is neuter gender. It has to be its. So I'm going to read it that way. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and its feet was the feet of a bear. It's the same beast of Daniel 7, the lion, the bear, the leopard, the beast with iron teeth. And his mouth, its mouth, was the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, dracon, People looking for some fire-breathing dragon at the end of time. The word is dracon. Let me erase some of this. D-R-A-K-O-N. It means to fascinate. That's what we were talking about, the doctrine of, the, the doctrine of Satan at the beginning of the message was fascinating. It has the basic same meaning in Genesis 1-3 as the beast, this serpent, was more subtle than any beast of the field. Genesis 3 and 1. The word serpent is the word nakash. And it means to enchant. If you're looking for a world beast system, it ain't going to be something that looks bad. It's going to be the doctrine of Satan that we read about in the first part of this. That's what we've got going on in America. A real nice Jesus with no tribulation, no fiery trials. It's the wrong Jesus. If you're not suffering, something's wrong with your life. Maybe you're not old enough. Maybe you hadn't been in this long enough. The more you learn about the truth, the more you say, the more people are going to dislike you and stay away from you. That's just the way it is. I don't like that. Well, then you want the other Jesus, the easy Jesus. Now let's go over here to Revelation 17. It's still talking about this beast. Revelation 17 it goes along with this Christmas story, with this Easter story. How much time do I have, Mike? Six. Six minutes. Let me just show you real quick, like. I don't know exactly. I want to read the whole thing, but look at verse 11. The beast that was and is not, that's the one that was outlawed. Even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. That means they're going to receive a kingdom. That is Israel and their power, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. But watch what happens to the ten horns. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. Overcome, N-I-K-A-O.
it, it's a form of N-I-K-E. Nike, Nike is the word victory. Well, I'm sure we get the word Nike from that. Victory. I'm putting too many K's in there. Victory. Nikkei is the verb form of victory, and faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Notice, the ten horns are not destroyed in this 17th chapter. They join Christ in destroying the beast. Watch. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. They that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, we saw this woman setting up on many waters, Babylon, the mother of harlots. So the waters where she sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. That's all over the world. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast shall hate the harlot of Babylon. They're the ones that gave her the power to overcome and shall make the harlot desolate. What's going to happen, it's really amazing, when God's people are called out of the harlot, it's time for the harlot to die. When you see Persia overthrowing Babylon in the Old Testament, when Persia overthrows Babylon, the Persian kings give God's people decrees to go home and rebuild their temple and their city. That's what happens. When, when the horns are called out of Babylon, they destroy the, the Babylonian harlot. But they're not destroyed and shall make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Who's going to do that? The ten horns. The ten powers that gave up their ability to conquer the world. And the beast is about Christmas, Easter, Mardi Gras. I hadn't finished this. I can't hardly keep from going into all this other. For God hath put it in their hearts. Whose hearts? The ten horns. To fulfill his will. And to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast. That's what they did. Until the words of God be fulfilled when they destroy the beast and burn it with fire. The ten horns. It's when we're taken out of here to join the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth with let us make us a name, with all their stuff and their things. I don't even have time to finish this up here. I just took off on this ten horns thing. I love teaching on the ten horns because the Bible doesn't say that the beast destroys the ten horns. Where the beast got her power was from, it's like northern Israel possessed the power and they just gave it away. How did they give it away? By ceasing to worship the Lord God. 
you can give up your power in your life by going back to your sin and you can't overthrow anything am i about out of time mike one minute i want to come back and go into the seven stars the bible says in the first chapter of revelation jesus has the seven stars in his right hand when you look up hand in the mcclinican strong it'll tell you the right hand is the hand of authority so he's got the seven stars in his right hand the seven stars it's not the Big Dipper that gives you, it's not these seven stars, nor the seven stars in Pleiades. I was going to show you this. The seven stars have the same, the same pattern as the seven churches of Asia. This is, this is one of the most amazing things to me. The seven churches of Asia is like a tent. When seven is the number of divine perfection. Oops. Well, I had some more things in there. Well, I thought I had more in there. But the Pleiades, well, I didn't have them all in there. The Pleiades has seven stars. It's the exact same pattern as the seven churches of Asia. Same pattern. Do you realize what God had to do to get these churches organized exactly where they are? I've got it on, well, I thought I had it. I got it on one of these papers. Well, I got this out of the world. I got this out of the world book encyclopedia. A lady across the street gave them to me. Seven Churches of Asia has the same pattern as the Pleiades. Now, how could that be without a sovereign God ordaining these men to start these churches exactly where they started them? How? It couldn't have been unless it was God in charge. I'm out of time. I'll kind of mix with this Christmas thing and Easter thing, I'll kind of mix Revelation with it because that's what it's about. It's about, I want to go into the seven stars being the seven spirits of the seven churches. When I go into that, I've got to go into Revelation 8 and 9 and 10 and Revelation 15 because it's talking about the seven angels or the seven spirits of the seven churches. Angel angelos means messenger. I got so much more to say on that. I'll bring it up next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. Increase our understanding of your book. 
We'll give you praise for all things, fight our battles. In Christ's name we pray, man. I'm going to come back and talk about seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you want? You want some gum? You want some gum? Huh? Hold on a second. Hold on. I'll get it for you. Come here. Here they go. You want this red one? You want this? You gonna take some to your sisters? Take these to your sisters. Hey Patrick, it's good to see you. Good to see you too. I'm sorry I've been away for so long. Huh? I'm sorry I was, was away for so Where long. Where you been? Just out in the world doing stupid stuff, basically. Okay. But I came, got a camp, told it, got a Hey, 